0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. Hi, my name is Ashley, and I'm an introvert. Um, On today's episode, um, I have up, she's a mother. She's also a business owner of photography focused on um, photographing funerals, families in hospice, also families with aging uh, pets. Um, She also focuses on supporting people um, who may need uh, psychiatric, excuse me, service dogs or animals. Um, So here to talk about all of that and all the above and so much more stuff is Shannon McFarland.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode. So um, you mentioned uh, today has been kind of weird already. Um, Anything (laughs) you want to share or
1: I've tried really hard not to be rigid about routines, and I I think I can go with the flow fairly well, but then something happens that disrupts how the beginning of the day flows, and I find myself being really crabby about that, and it's it's Mm -hmm. okay. It's easier to adapt if it happens later in the day, but if it happens in the first couple of hours after I wake up, I feel like a bear and it just, it throws me off and it's hard to recover from that. So that's what happened this morning. There were just a couple of things that, that threw me off and they weren't big and nothing catastrophic, but it was just frustrating because I wanted to do my stuff and I wanted to get in my groove and I wanted to have time for myself. And none of that happened.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. I relate to that so much. It, it Just like you said, it doesn't have to be anything big or catastrophic. It, it can be something small that interrupts your flow and how you, you know, um, your routine. And it just can ruin your whole day. Um, so I totally identify with that all the time. I always try to. I'm very, like, um, yeah, I'm very rigid on my routine as well. So if there's anything that interrupts it, it 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 just throws everything off. That is something I am working on, being um, open to change mm-hmm. and like and not feeling overwhelmed by it. So I totally, totally get that,
1: yeah, it's it's hard. and i I've made a lot of progress over the years that I can adapt if it's later in the day. But that yeah. first morning time, I, I think that's driven by introversion. I have to have oh, time to, yeah. to myself, and if I mm-hmm. don't, I feel like demands are being put upon me earlier than I'm willing to accept them. Even yes, if, if they don't seem like demands to anybody else, it feels like that to me, and it's it's odd, and I I don't particularly want to be that way because it's difficult. And also I have tried so many things and I that's something that is fixed in me. I can't change that need to have a lot of time for myself. So mm-hmm. I've gotta be creative and figure out how I can make changes so that it's not when it does happen that there's an interruption that I have more I have more tools or I have other possibilities that I can call upon so that I don't feel like the bottom has just dropped out of my day
0: <laughs> yeah Mm-hmm. it's like you know I'm in therapy right now and um I'm getting a lot of tools to help me um just navigate through my anxiety and my um depression and my trauma so um so yeah to help me just deal with um day-to-day life like getting through things and um you know kind of trying to help my anxiety and um so I can get into a place that I whenever I feel a certain way I could um I have the tools the resources to get out of it so I mean I'm a big advocate of therapy I've said this on my podcast many times Mm -hmm. I'm a huge advocate of therapy because it really does work you know I am um of African-American descent. So in my community, therapy is not really prevalent. It's not really something that, you know, um, we as African-Americans like uh, um, go towards when we have a problem. It's usually like, oh, pray about it, or, oh, you know, keep it to yourself or whatever, instead of saying like, no, you need help. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have the answers, you know, so, you know, here are some resources, you know, such as therapy. some places you can go, people you can talk to, group therapy and stuff like that, you know, that can help you with your problems. And especially in the African-American community, it's a lot of generational um, uh, trauma. So, it, and it, and a lot of that needs to be worked through a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So I'm always a big advocate of, of therapy. Um, I'm
1: glad you found somebody that's a good fit for you.
0: Yeah. Yay. Yeah, that's also, that's, I, I'm glad you mentioned that too, like a good fit, like, because that, um, that matters as well. You know, you, you, sometimes you have to, you have to go through several therapists before you find someone that, um, that you, I hate to use this word, but like vibe with, or someone that you, that understands what you're, uh, what you're saying and um, can help uh, navigate, with you and work with you and try to find um, solutions and uh, and and things that can help you with uh, whether it's your trauma or your depression, your anxiety, um, a mental illness, whatever it may be. So that is very true. Like you, you know, you don't have to settle on just you know one person, you know, because you think, oh, okay, I, I the therapist is correct and right. And I might not feel great, you know, talking to this person, but they're a therapist. So they know everything. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. You know, you, you, you know, you want to talk with someone and you want to feel heard, you know, and if you don't feel heard, you know, you're not getting the help or the proper help that you need. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that you said that is true. So can you, um, can you give me a little background into how you started in photography? Like, particularly, like, um, photographing grief?
1: Ah, well, I, um, the whole reason that I invested in a, in a am doing air quotes here that you can't see, <laughs> a real camera was because uh, my first dog died, and I, after he died, I felt I just felt the weight of all of the photographs that I didn't have. Yeah. And it was hard. And I thought, gosh, you know, I've wanted wanted to buy a camera all this time. And I've wanted to learn photography. And I had cameras. I had point-and-shoot cameras. But somehow, to me, that didn't feel like it was enough. Because mm-hmm. he was magnificent. And I really wanted to honor yeah. him. And yeah. so two months after he died, I bought that camera. And I took classes and I read books and I tried to learn and it was hard. Like I wasn't, you know, you're talking about finding a match for a therapist and which I, I feel that because I've, I've been with many therapists and it's hard to find. A yeah. Match. Um, but I was having a hard time finding a match with a teacher. And so people were trying to teach me things and I just was not absorbing them. Yeah. In a way that made sense to me. So I started to think maybe photography just isn't right for me. So I kept dabbling with it. Um, and it was when, oh golly, how many years was it after that? I suppose it doesn't matter. It was a handful of years afterwards that I was pregnant. And the mm-hmm. doctor said, oh, hey, by the way, your baby is incompatible with life. And I thought, okay, well, that's a whole new thing that I need to think about. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to come to terms with that. And it's a it's a lot to process. And I knew that there would be a lot of it that I I couldn't know how I would feel about it until he died. And it really yeah. happened. So I picked up a camera and I thought I'm just gonna I'm just going to focus on the things literally that feel important to me right now. Mm -hmm. And so I used it to help with my anxiety, but I also used it as documentation of the time that we did have together. Mm -hmm. And the spoiler alert here is that he's now eight years old. He's very compatible with life. He, Mm -hmm. uh, he had to stay in the intensive care unit and he had surgery and, and all kinds of things, but he's, you know you look at him now and you think oh there's just this normal kid and he still has a lot of stuff going on but mm-hmm. um it was when i was in the hospital with him that i was photographing his room and the space around him and him sure. and other parents saw that and asked could you do this for our family too and mm-hmm. he'd say sure yeah i will do that and then we became friends, and some of those babies died because that is what happens with yeah. NICU babies. There's, I mean, well, it happens with non-NICU babies too, but um, the mortality rate is higher. Yeah, these kids, and they said, "Our our child has died. It would mean a lot to us if you could be with us at the service. Would you do some photographs? Because our family is coming in, and you know, we don't see them very often." sure, yeah, I'll do that, and it felt kind of strange, and that's that's really how it started, that I just sort of fell into yeah. it, because it was something that was useful for me, and then other yeah. people saw it, and then those people told other people, and pretty soon I was I was getting a lot more requests than I expected, and now that yeah. I've been, that was in 2013, so it's been nine years, unbelievably, wow. wow. And there's been a lot of refining. I have a much better understanding of grief Mm -hmm. and how it's really impossible to understand grief. Because every time grief is different and it changes and it moves. And it's, it's wonderful to be able to witness people that feel like the other people in their lives are abandoning them because things are hard for them and they're uncomfortable to be around because Mm -hmm. their friends and family are not willing to process their own stuff about mortality or grief or death or whatever else is coming up for them so instead Mm -hmm. of trying to be with that and figure out how to be supportive they say Mm -hmm. things like oh well call me if you need anything and then disappear
0: yeah that isn't that that line <laughs> call me if you need anything it's so generic now yeah. it there's no meaning behind it anymore
1: and someone who is really struggling who is really struggling and needs yeah help is going to have a hard time getting getting the brain wrapped around okay i need help all right i need yeah. to someone okay who do i call? Mm -hmm. say i know that i that's what i need help with so what how do do i do any of this this? and they just don't know so they need people to come in and say i am going to be at your house on this day at this time and i am going to do all of your laundry and put it away and i will make some meals and get you some um quick snack type things to keep in the refrigerator yep. or the cabinet so you can stay nourished. And I'm going to walk yeah. your dog.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what they. It's do. Yes. It, it's like, you have to insert yourself, you know, you still, still, you still want to give the person space, but you have to insert yourself because just like you said, when you're dealing with grief, it, it, you don't know, you don't necessarily know what you need you know you know you need something you don't necessarily know what you need so you need family friends people to come in and just do those things for you like you don't have to like i'm just going to come in i'm going to do your laundry just like you said i'm going to cook you some meals like we don't have to talk about anything like i'm just here i'm just going to help you out and then if you need anything you want to talk it's just you know it you need and it's hard though because some people they want to they want to let you grieve so they don't want to bother you so they're like so they, so they use that line of, um, if you need anything, call me. And it's like, it, it's, it comes with good intentions, but it's like, no, like you have to sometimes more um, nine times out of 10, you have to insert yourself, not aggressively, not, you know, to take over, but just, just to help, just to be there. Sometimes somebody just needs you to be there. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I totally agree with that. Um, oh my gosh. So you said your so your son was born um, sick or um, uh, with uh with difficulties. Um, if you don't mind, um, uh, telling us, um, some of the difficulties that your son has.
1: He was born with something called an encephalocoele, and okay. I- strongly suggest that for people that are curious about what that looks like that you be prepared for some very graphic images if you look it up okay and emphalocele is where the intestine forms outside of the abdomen so Mm. it is not in the baby's body at all it is attached to the body through a a membrane it's in a membranous sac and it is has comorbidities, as the medical community says, with mm-hmm. uh, quite a few other things that are difficult. Notably, trisomies, which are differences in the number of chromosomes that you have in any particular place. Uh, right. The trisomies are really scary because two of them, numbers 13 and 18, are they result in very short lifespans, very, very okay. short, typically a year or less, um, and that was the push for uh, the other part of the story that I didn't tell you, was that after the doctor said, oh, yeah, your baby is incompatible with life, by the way, I have an appointment for a termination this afternoon, somebody just canceled, do you want it, and it was all in the same breath practically, and... Uh. It was uh, it was shocking to me to have that in my face where I realized, oh my gosh, this is this is someone making the judgment that because a baby is not whole and perfect, mm-hmm. a baby has less of a less of a quality of life than yeah someone else. And you know there's not. A lot to suggest that a baby born with trisomy 13 or 18 is in tremendous pain and is suffering continually. They are, I don't think they are what anybody would call normal, here come the air quotes again, normal kids, but mm-hmm. they experience joy and they bond with people and yeah. there are a lot of the physical development kinds of things that become distant or um Difficult for them that they may never reach, but mm-hmm. that doesn't take away their value and their worth as humans. And it was just absolutely. Not. It was really interesting to hear someone in the medical community. Yeah, fetal medicine doctor. So her whole job is high risk pregnancies to mm. have her so blatantly say that and then I you know since then I've been thinking about all of the other ways where that eugenicist kind of attitude creeps into things we've seen it with yeah God. we see it with racism we see it with oh yeah. we see it mm-hmm. with um with ableism it's with uh the all of the the sex discrimination in the transgender mm-hmm. community and mm-hmm. it sucks it sucks that people will take a little shred of information and then they will make decisions based on that that they think are yeah. the good of the community. Because there's this person is going to need support, and that's exactly. going to be a drain on the community. So let's just not have that be an issue. Let's not tax the community. Let's not tax the family. Mm-hmm. Let's just eliminate this what i perceive to be a problem
0: wow i just but i i'm i'm stuck on the wording as well saying it's terrible saying how do you how do you say to someone a new mother your son isn't compatible with life
1: yeah and like, that is the preferred terminology in the medical community believe it or not incompatible with life that is the wow. way of saying that this person is going to die sooner than expected but mm-hmm. they don't want to use dying death dead they don't they don't talk about the 3 Ds yeah so incompatible with life that's somehow better and then it, it just right. contributes to this culture that we have where we are uncomfortable talking about death we are uncomfortable yeah. addressing mortality because it becomes the enemy yeah it's not a natural part of life anymore it's something that we avoid at all costs and we spend a lot of money to do it
0: yeah mm-hmm. but it is a part of life <laughs> it is it's the, it's the circle of life it is and so right we definitely have to talk about it. It's, it's hard. Like w- w- we get it. I mean, it is hard to talk about death and mortality and grief and, and thinking about your loved ones not being here anymore, but it has to be talked about, you know, because you don't want to, you can never prepare yourself, yourself for, you know, someone passing, but when you have a better understanding of of life and just that is how it works. Um, you're better able to um, deal with it. You're still going to grieve. You're still going to miss that person. You're still um, uh, going to have that hole in your heart, as I say. But it, it, but you'll be better equipped to to deal with it. I feel, in my opinion, um, when my mother passed away. Um, I I, I was, I don't want to say I was kind of prepared and I was kind of not prepared for it because she was sick. So it wasn't like a sudden death or anything like that. Um, she had been sick for five years up until um, that point, you know, when she passed away. Um, but, um, I, I, I think I was more prepared than my, my sister and my brother, you know, it hit them harder than it hit me because I had spent so much time with her within that five years, you know, taking care of her, you know, from, you know, feeding her to giving her her medicine, to bathing her to all of that. So so I still grieved, but it, for me it was like I had those memories. I had the good times, and then I had the times where you know we bonded. You know, over um, me just being her her caretaker mm-hmm. now. Um, but but yeah, I mean grief is it's it's hard. Kind of went to another place there, but yeah, I I just yeah that, medical terminology is weird, you know, but as a human being, I feel like you should know what you need to say or some, or sometimes you don't, but sometimes it's just, it's kind of weird. You know, she could have worded that though, or the doctor could have worded that a a different way or could (laughs) have, I I don't know, but, um, oh my gosh. So I want to talk about, um, uh, uh photographing um families in hospice yeah. like how did you get into that
1: well it was it was along the same kind of circumstance that the, of what started in the nicu and just carried over so mm-hmm. it's, um yeah, for most of my adult life i have been afraid of death i've been afraid mm-hmm. of this dying all of that i didn't want to deal with any of it and I'm a chronically ill person myself, so I mm-hmm. I have some intimacy with what it's like to need caregiving once in a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've grown to love hospice because I have provided hospice care for family members, and I've witnessed other people providing hospice care. And it is this, for me, it, it looks like a time of great softening. that there's, Yeah. The things that people have been holding on to in their lives, maybe the grudgy types of things, Mm -hmm. they they start to loosen up and they move around and very often they fall away. And I love that about hospice and I've come to appreciate it as a time where families are very, um, they're more willing to be authentically emotional like they're yes more comfortable with vulnerably expressing how they feel about something because they're dealing with that mortality issue and they're they have this constant reminder that oh this this someone that I love is going to die soon and I don't know exactly when that's going to happen I want yeah sure that I do and say the things that are important for me to communicate during this time because I don't get a do-over Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's that part. I want to honor that. But I think more importantly, I want to give the families something that they, they can use. The photographs are nice, but it's not about the photographs. It's about the yeah. process of creating them. And it's mm-hmm. about the process of visiting them later. Because when we're in spaces like this, we think that we are going to remember everything. Yeah, it all seems so vivid and overwhelming and important. Mm -hmm. And I, I know when I've been in situations like that, I keep replaying in my brain. Okay, I got to remember this, I got to remember this, let me look around, let me get all the details, I need to hold this in my memory. And it's a lot of pressure. Also, Mm -hmm. there's no way to be able to process everything that's happening in real time. So I find that with photographs, I for my own use, I can go back and revisit them and take all the time that I need to work through something that happened because mm-hmm. things are preserved there. So stuff that I may not have noticed in real time because I was preoccupied with something else, mm-hmm. I can see in the photograph and I have a different level of experience later. I have a different perspective and it's, it's kind of like therapy that way and that it's yeah. a lot of reflection on on how you've done things and what you were feeling and how all of that comes together or doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, yeah, I noticed how much of a help it was for me, ultimately, yeah. and I wanted to be able to give that to other people. And there are plenty of people that say it's gross, it's weird, it's creepy, it's inappropriate, it's disrespectful, and mm-hmm. those are not my people. I know that yes um it's for the the people that do ask me to come and be with them it is it it is so valuable to them and the photographs only increase in value because they're it's like a little time machine they can go back in time and they can remember some of the things that consumed their days and how you know you have those feelings of uh, you have kind of that shame collection going because you're thinking, oh, I just, I want this to be over. Why won't you die? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things, which is totally normal, especially yeah. when you don't have a strong community to support you and you are a sole caregiver and there's yes. no one to distribute the load. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to acknowledge that stuff, to acknowledge that there's really great moments and there's really hard moments, and all of them are worthy and valuable and appropriate and normal.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's, I've never... Um, I used to work as a a nursing assistant, so, but not in the hospice area, but as far as taking care of like the elderly or, you know, the terminally ill. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, as much as like you with your, you know, being with them and, you know, photographing uh, for memory purposes and stuff like that, but just, you know, having, someone there too just like you said if you don't have a lot of um you don't have a lot of family or support you know um that also is a form of support too just being there with them as a shoulder to cry on or just to talk about it like you know do you need anything like do you want time along it's it's just you know it's when it, when i really think about it now it's just like just the whole um yeah, just just death and, and grief. You know, as a whole, it's just so taboo. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to deal with it. But when it happens, you know, they they're unprepared. And um, for me, I feel like it causes more stress. So it's really good to um, to have. I mean, these difficult conversations where you talk about. Hey, you know, with your family, with your friends, hey, when I pass away, you know, I want you to do this, you know, I want to have I want to be buried or I want to be cremated or um, I want my finances to go here like I want you to do this, I want you to do that. And those are hard conversations, but those are conversations you need to have because you're, you know you're going to have that moment where you are going to pass away. Again, it's the circle of life. So it's, it's going to happen. You don't know when, but you want to be as prepared as possible for it because so many families, so many people aren't prepared for the death of their loved ones or even for themselves that they don't, you know, get insurance. They don't, um, Prepare financially and all of that, and then when the person passes away, you're left with, you know, um, nothing to help care for, you know, that person after after death. So it's it's just it, it's a whole lot of stuff that um, that just needs to be talked about, needs to be sorted out, and all of that. So when that time does come, you can grieve, you know. I guess comfortably, if, if that's even a thing, but you can you you can you can you know, you don't have to worry about you know all of that stuff, but just you know focus on making the end of that person's life, you know, um, uh, their tra- make their transition, you know, um, I guess uh, more make it easier basically. Um, So you also, um, so you also offer support, you said you offer support for um, people who need maybe um, psychiatric psychiatric, um, service dogs or animals. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, Um, we have, there's somebody right here who's being very quiet because she has a job to do right now, but she is Mm -hmm. our stay at home service dog because she doesn't enjoy public access. Um, Mm. She will never pass those tests, unfortunately, which is what she does. And um, it's a, oh gosh, years ago, I started looking for a a service dog prospect for our son Mm -hmm. to help him with quite a few things. And I thought, well, you know, as he gets older, it's going to be more important for him to have independence from his parents yeah he's going to want to do things by himself he's going to want to hang out with his friends um and i i want to see that happen and oh my goodness it terrifies me because there are some things that he is not able to do without accommodation and there are some Mm -hmm. things that he is um there are some instances in which things may happen that uh that we never know when they're going to happen, but they do. So he, he yeah. has epilepsy, for example. And we okay. never know when that is going to happen. Right. So having somebody with him is a great thing. And then I, I was looking around at all of the organizations and seeing how long the waits were, which makes a lot of sense because it's a, it's a two to three-year process
0: mm. to mm-hmm.
1: raise and, and train a dog for work. And right. they match and then train the person so they can work together as a team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: With pediatric options, it's even longer. And then there's this extra process where kids have to be a certain age because of mm. course the organization wants to know that the, the child can be a a capable partner. Yeah. For mm-hmm. on, on the team for the dog. And I thought, well, you know, there's got to be some better ways than this. So we went on the path of doing it ourselves. And I went to school for dog training. And there was a lot of stuff that I didn't agree with that was very um, behavioral based. Like dogs should always behave in this way. And let's not give them room to be dogs Mm -hmm. because they Mm -hmm. always need to be on. And so um, I have distanced myself from that. And I, I help families from more of an education standpoint, because they're the ones that are doing all the training. They're training right. their own dogs. But I help mm-hmm. them find good matches. And I teach them about how to develop partnership with their dogs. And then yeah. add the tasks. So the training is about specific tasks for work. We don't train dogs to behave well. That's not something yeah. that you can do. We yeah. develop the relationship so that our behaviors are compatible. Um, and that's really important for families that are, someone is autistic or, um, you know, a, a flight risk. They do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Both my son and I are autistic. So okay. family, we appreciate that. Um, but other things like panic attacks and Anxiety and and things like that, where a dog can really help on the days yeah. that you are struggling to mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. Everything hurts, um, and it is very hard for people who need more of the psychiatric support to find good matches for them, to find people who are going to believe in their need rather than gaslight them.
0: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
1: And I think especially for communities of color, where there's a lot of cultural stuff happening, and um, oddly, you know, medical practitioners believe that people with darker skin don't feel pain in the same way. Yeah. Ludicrous, stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that people don't believe kids. So there's a lot of ageism as well. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. giving families like that access to education, it's mostly virtual because a lot Mm -hmm. of these families, it's hard to have someone come into their home. It's also hard for them to get out for a class. Right. So we go over everything in a very accessible way. Whatever their accommodations are, I make those accommodations because it's important. And that yes. way they have, um, you know, they don't have to have somebody that's officially qualified for service. They can have somebody like Greer, our dog, who stays home and does a lot of work at home. Mm-hmm. And then someday they may be able to have another dog that is fully qualified. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do the qualifications. I just help people get to the point where they can test if they want to. Okay. But no matter what, they have somebody with them that can help with some of the heavy lifting and every little bit helps.
0: That's so true. Um, I have my doggy that I, I think of him as my service dog, you know, in a way of, you know, um, mentally, you know, when I'm feeling anxious, I'm in my uh, depressive uh, moods, just having him around me him laying his big head on my leg or just, you know, licking my hand or just just having his presence, you know, sometimes really does ease my anxiety when I come home from work, whether it was a hard day or not. You know, I hear his little his, he has a weird little like bark, uh, growl, waddle noise that he makes. And um, I open the door, and he's right there with a toy in his mouth, and he's just, yeah, he's really, he's really helped me through a lot, and um, he's an amazing dog. Um, so I definitely think of him as my my service dog in that way, for sure, for sure, for sure. So um, I'm definitely an advocate for that. I'm. It's a, so amazing that you. Um help people um get their service dogs um in any way possible because it really does help you know it, it's interesting you know i i've um i've had a cat i've had um you know other animals but dogs in particular have a really special specific bond with humans Yes, it's hard to explain sometimes <laughs> you know people who've never had a dog and they see you with your dog and they're like, why are you so, you know, in tune with each other? Like, how do you, where does, how, how do you have that love for an animal? And it's like, you will never understand until you get your own dog that they are your family and you treat them that way. And it's, they f- feel your emotion. You feel their emotion. You, you, just dogs are very in with with humans and it's just, it's incredible how they can sense when you need them, when you need their support, they're there. Um, so yeah, that that is incredible that you do that. Um, um, I guess the last thing I wanted to ask about was, um, you mentioned um, introverted grief uh, versus I guess, extroverted grief. Um, What's the difference you feel in um, being an introvert and dealing with grief or being an extroverted or a more extroverted person dealing with grief? What's that Uh, difference you think?
1: Well, these are stereotypes, of course, because everybody is different. What I typically see is that introverts, when they grieve, they are much more likely to internalize things as they do the rest of the time, right? Right, And grief is a community, it's a community health issue. It's a community event. We cannot grieve alone as much as we think that we can. Grief Mm -hmm. is meant to be carried by a community. And that doesn't mean that everybody is grieving the same loss in the same way. That means that people come together in community to support the griever. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this a little bit before, where people say, oh, yeah, call me. I'm here. I'll be here for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for an extroverted griever who is probably doing more of the grieving that people would associate with grieving, the right. outward displays of emotion, mm-hmm. um, wanting to talk about what has happened or what hasn't mm-hmm. happened. Right. Introverts are not as likely to do that. So they mm-hmm. are going to cave in on themselves. Yes. They are going to refuse offers of help. Mm-hmm. They are going to internalize things until their internal pressure gets so high that they yes. they explode. Yes. And it's very, very hard because they they aren't going to ask for help and they need people to come in. Like we were talking about earlier and say, I'm just going to do this for you. I will be here at this time. I'm going to bring you groceries. Um, Don't worry about if there's stuff that you don't like, I'm just going to bring them and drop them off at your front door. You don't even have Mm -hmm. to see me. So there's a, um, I think with introverts, it's just, it's harder to feel like there's an option for support. It's harder to yeah. feel like there is an option for them to discuss things because often they want, they want to do the work of processing and sorting out and yeah. be introspective before mm-hmm. they have any conversation about it. They feel like they need to have all of that understood so they yeah. can talk about it. Right. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. So, I think when we emphasize grieving support and grieving etiquette, it's – we tend to focus on things that are suitable for the more extroverted grievers. Mm-hmm. And there's this other population that needs something a little bit different. And that – yeah. Being able to be with someone without having a conversation yes, and just allow somebody to feel like there's, there's someone there to witness them and that they mm-hmm. are important and that they are loved, but not, yes, not pressuring that person to talk about things. Well, so how are you feeling? How are you doing?
0: Right. How mm-hmm. was yesterday? Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: you've got a big mm-hmm. anniversary coming up. What are you feeling about that? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know introverts have a really hard time with that approach but yes it's hard for people because we don't have these skills with grief it's hard for people to stop talking and start being and listening
0: yes be there Mm
1: -hmm. be there be of service do Mm -hmm. things that support the person that take away some of maybe the nagging tasks that they might mm-hmm. have that are hard for them mm-hmm. to address. Yes. Do that stuff. And then say, you know, not that I'm here for you, whatever you need, because that is not helpful, but no. demonstrate, follow yes. up with an action, even mm-hmm. if it's small, even if it's putting a card in the mail that says, I'm thinking about you and whoever mm-hmm. it is that died. Here is one of my favorite memories I love yes, you. yes, you know, something like that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I. That is so true. I mean, you know, being an introvert, it, it's what you said about um, internalizing everything. That is like the basis, one of the what? biggest things that I deal with, and that I am still struggling with. That me and my therapists are are working hard to get through, you know, she tasked me with, uh, trying to find someone to, uh, emotionally support me. And that was really hard (laughs) because again, I, I internalize everything. So whether it's grief, whether it's my anxiety, whatever I'm going through, whatever issues I internalize it. And it's not, it's just, it's automatic. It's not even like a, this is what I want to do sort of thing. like, you know, um, it's automatic. So it, it's really hard. And especially for introverts, you have to, sometimes you have to insert yourself not too much because then that will make us shut down even more. Exactly. But you have to, you kind of got to find your niche and it's also, you kind of got to know the person too. um, and know what they need, what they don't need. And just like you said, you know, for us introverts, it, we it it it's sometimes just having somebody there with you just sitting there and you're not saying anything. You're watching a movie. You're 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 doing a craft, you're doing a puzzle, you're doing um your painting or whatever you're doing, it, you know, that matters more than you trying to talk or you're trying to overtly, you know, insert yourself, you know. Um, so, you know, speaking as an introvert, for me, I appreciate that. I appreciate people who, who understand, um, how I operate, how my brain works and how I deal with things. And they basically are just along for the ride with me. And it's just like, you know, when you're ready, you're ready, you know, and I'm not going to pressure you to say anything, to talk or, or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I totally agree. And then, you know, extroverts. Yeah. Um, they, they are able to, um, outwardly express their grief and they want to talk about it and then they want to, you know, reminisce and do all this stuff. And, um, it doesn't make, uh, their grieving process or whatever they're going through, um, less valid if they have you know, outwardly emotions. It's just different, and so um, I think also people need a better understanding of of introverts and extroverts, of of, of two different uh, populations of people who just brains work differently, and um, and their emotions um, are differently the way they express themselves. Um, then you know the whole grieving process will be a lot easier as well is you would you know how to you would know how to support someone um other than just that generic um call me if you need anything
1: which yeah feels like
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's not helpful that's not you know supportive you know at all i mean i know you mean well you know but um but it doesn't help and so yeah you just gotta find your niche i always say that you gotta find your niche in there and 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 just be support you know doesn't have any have to be anything big um so yeah that is something i am working on right now just trying to let people in and trying to um uh not internalize everything um it's hard because i've had to basically all my life internalize um brief, internalized, you know, trauma. So Mm -hmm. that is something that I'm constantly every day working at. Um, it's hard and it's a process and it's going to be long, but, um, I am, uh, optimistic that, um, I will get to a place where, um, I can be more open and honest and, and, um, not so, um, You know, uh, to myself, I'm always gonna be an extro, excuse me, an introvert. Always gonna be an introvert, but um, but I'm I'm looking forward to the time where I can um, better express myself, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, it's hard. It's hard to find the words, the phrases, the vocabulary sometimes to put in. Yeah to share with somebody what you're feeling in a way that's understandable. And I, that's one of the big reasons that I love photography so much. It's because I see people looking at photographs together and each having their own experience emotionally of what yeah. that moment meant. Mm-hmm. And it's a different way of having a conversation. They don't have to say anything to each other, but they're sharing something. And yeah. that is coming together. It doesn't have to be a conversation with words it doesn't have to be an outward yeah. expression of emotion just being close together and somehow um resonating with a similar experience can be a really mm-hmm. powerful thing
0: yes it totally can oh my gosh uh, i love the conversation we've been having um uh i did, it's been so amazing. I mean, this is therapy for me as well. <laughs> doing these, <laughs> doing these, episodes, doing these episodes—you know, talking to different people um, of just about um, their life and 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 their passions. So um, uh, I I can talk forever <laughs> about um, all of these all of these different topics. But um, is there anything you would like to promote your photography business? You know, any? Um, any uh, words of wisdom you would like to, to share with the audience?
1: Oh, words of wisdom. I, I would say it to people that, um, that whatever they're feeling is fine, that they don't have mm-hmm. to change. There's not a right way to do things. No matter yes. what it is, there's not a right way because everybody is so different. And the way that works for me may not be the way that works for you. Yes. So um, I know, especially in the grief space, there are a lot of people who sell things like programs and workshops when they say this is the right way to grieve. Mm-hmm. The six steps that you need to get your life back. Here's mm-hmm. how to grow through grief. Here's how yeah. to change grief into gratitude. And it feels to me like a lot of extra pressure. But yes. really what I want to do is become friends with my grief, to adopt mm-hmm. grief like a sister, basically, mm-hmm. and to always have her in my life, because mm-hmm. I know that that is what needs to happen. Um, and it's taken me a long time to get there. It's, I don't think this is the kind of thing that you can just decide, well, the next week I'm going to start this program where I become friends with my grief, and it's going to be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I photography has helped me so much with that because it's just a, it's a different way of looking at things and it encourages me to Mm -hmm. prioritize stuff and Mm -hmm. to tell stories in ways that are meaningful to me. They don't have to be meaningful to anybody else. Mm -hmm. And if anybody wants to find me, probably the best place to find me is at Slobbered Lens. You can find me Slobbered Lens on Facebook, or slobberedlens.com, and that's exactly what it sounds like—a big bunch of drool on a camera lens. <laughs> I have—I um, write a lot about people who are going to be close enough to me, me for photography, and I also have—I um, have an ebook on—it's um, called *The Anxious Photographer*, which is about different sort of exercises you can do with a camera when you're feeling especially anxious. And mm. another one that is about it's an active remembrance guide using photography for uh, specifically for pet loss. And it's just a, it's mm. a series of prompts that you can explore to actively remember because that part is important. We are, we don't stop grieving unless yeah. we stop. And that connection mm-hmm. stays there and it's, learning how to grieve in different ways and learning Mm -hmm. how to adapt as our lives change and grow around that grief. How do we, how do we respond to that?
0: Yeah. I always tell people, you know, who, um, have recently lost someone. I, I always tell them, you know, um, I don't, I don't like the saying, you know, time heals all wounds because that is not true, but, right. but time really does um, make it easier. I always say you're always going to have that hole in your heart, but you will be able to live with it. Um, if you um, allow yourself to grieve, you allow yourself um, to receive help, um, but just like you said, you, you are always going to grieve but you'll be, be you'll be better um equipped to deal with it uh when you do your um your homework and you and you better prepare yourself um for those times cuz just like you said you know as long as you're loving you're always going to be in some sort of grief because that's just life so yeah Um does
1: not in the relationship
0: yeah the relationship mm-hmm.
1: continues and it's kind of awkward to figure out, well, how do I continue this relationship with yeah. someone who is dead?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What does that look like? And I think that's mm-hmm. what grieving is all about. How do I maintain yeah. the connection? And grief reminds mm-hmm. us that, oh, hey, I'm still here. Love yeah. me. Remember me. Mm-hmm. And that's why we get those explosions of emotions where we feel like we're overcome or yanked out of our shoes or knocked
0: over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, I love that. Um, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Um, I just and thank you for your advocacy um, in in all the areas in your photography and your support for um, psychi- psychiatric um, animals. Um, I, I'm struggling with that word psychiatric. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. My tongue does not want to want, want to say it. It's not but I so seen um, to
1: spell either. It's not, it's not it
0: is. It is. It's like the PH is like it's just sorry. But yeah, um but thank you so much again, yet yeah, for your advocacy and 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 your continued work um in in helping people grieve and um get through that uh that process um of of uh transition from life to death. Um Thank you so much. Um, and I would love to have you back on again um, to just talk more about everything. Part two. <laughs> Part two, right? <laughs> Part two. Hold your hats. No. <laughs> All right. And I hope you have a wonderful um, day. I hope it gets better for you. Um, yes. And um, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Alrighty, thank you so much, Shannon
1: take care, Ashley. It's been delightful talking with you.
0: You too. Bye.
1: Bye.